0: Crane's audio studio presents Four Star Stories. Bronzeville.
1: Thank you for riding the CTA Green Line.
0: This is chapter three.
2: Everyone always says, we're still the most segregated city in the nation.
0: Reported by Dennis Rockin.
2: It used to be, I'm driving down Lakeshore Drive and I see a wall of public housing high rises. Right. I'm driving down Lakeshore Drive and I see these two really cool bridges. It is definitely more um, inviting.
0: Through the voices of Bronzeville scholars, leaders, and residents, we're using the lens of real estate to explore whether Chicago's segregated past will look any different in the future.
2: My my cousin lived in Olive Wells, and so it's funny, I was like at the time. Like, it's terrible here, I would
1: never live here. And telling him this is crazy, and now I'm here in the same area. I remember seeing something about 150,000 people living in about a two square mile area, of which could be considered the the heart of the Black Belt in about 1930. Pete Saunders is an urban planner who
2: writes and tweets about planning issues in the Chicago area.
1: That's incredibly dense. I mean, that's uh, Tokyo or Hong Kong dense and without you know, the best conditions either. Saunders
2: is now the Director of Community and Economic Development in Richton Park in South Cook County. In the 1990s, he worked for the city of Chicago on planning and land use projects, including in Bronzeville, although they didn't call it
1: Bronzeville. We ultimately settled on the Mid-South plan because we wanted to, at that time, kind of avoid any taint or association that might be negative uh, related to Bronzeville, which is kind of an indication of where Bronzeville was at that time.
2: This is what, this is 1990?
1: That's correct, yes.
2: And of course, the term Bronzeville is known, the Black Metropolis, but we just don't want to bring it back at that time?
1: Yes, this was more on the city side, less on the neighborhood side. They wanted to have that that acknowledgement and and that that reference, but it was the city that uh, was really trying to stay away from that. The effort was uh, funded by uh, McCormick Foundation and money that was also put in by the city itself. The planners understood
2: what's obvious if you look at a map of Chicago with no preconceived notions. Bronzeville has the same built-ins that Lincoln Park and Lakeview do. Lakefront, quick access to the loop and historical architecture.
0: Bronzeville has a lot of assets. I mean, the first asset being its uh, historical legacy and cultural significance right in Chicago.
2: As alderman, Pat Dowell organized a third ward parade of homes that helped jumpstart the new construction boom coming out of the mid-2000s housing bust. It
0: is near the lake. It has great transportation. It's snuggled and nestled between the Dan Ryan and and Lakeshore Drive. Close to downtown, historic architecture. Historic buildings. Yes, we have all of
1: that, but we have challenges. Focus was on doing a a really interesting land use plan and a market analysis, housing market and commercial development analysis for the whole area, basically from the Stevenson South to 51st Street and from the Dan Ryan to the lake. I mean, we thought that we should build a sort of a quarter section plan that would look at you know, a four block by four block area as uh, distinct neighborhoods that were joined by uh, commercial development, uh, commercial nodes at key intersections, and it was nice. But underneath all of that, a lot of it was about who was going to have power, who was going to have control over the process and who was going to be the beneficiary of new development in the area. And the big split that we had or divide that we had was really uh, long-time homeowners who had lived in the area, had seen the worst of it bottom out by the time 1990 comes around, and uh, public housing residents who had pretty much bottomed out at the same time, too. But they were uh, both looking for ways to ensure their position in the neighborhood. Homeowners, as uh, homeowners do, trying to uh, reap the investment. and uh, uh, public housing residents just trying to make sure that their buildings are upgraded and that they have a chance to stay in the community because they're enjoying some of the uh, proximity amenities that everybody else is enjoying in that area too. Uh, we had lots of uh, involvement, I guess is a way to say it, from um, gangs that were in the area at the time uh, that controlled different public housing complexes. And you know, they tried to do their best to intimidate us and try to uh, make sure that we didn't go too far or we would uh, benefit the right people uh, as we're working in the community. You talked about sort
2: of an interesting land plan. Are there pieces of the land plan that was designed then we can see in place today as it's redeveloping?
1: Yes, I I think that there are definitely aspects of the plan uh, that you see that we called out uh, at that time. Starting with what we see in the near south side right now, looking at uh, McCormick Place expansion, looking at the development of the near south side around Cermac right now that looks at the new hotels and the new uh, condos and things of that nature in that area. We anticipated that, kind of took our cue from the near north side and things that had happened there and said, this has the same proximity to the loop we think that it can have the same thing happen there. It's just that in 1990, not enough people probably believed in that. And uh, it took another uh, probably close to 20 years before it really started to jump off in that way. Tell me a little bit about this
2: this um, metaphor you use about the byway, about capital not flowing into black neighborhoods. Talk to me a little bit about that. That really articulates what we
1: see in a neighborhood like that. I'd like to hear you explain that metaphor. Oh, actually, I think when it really, really hit me was uh, probably five, six years ago when the whole Michael Brown uh, shooting in Ferguson happened, uh, when he was shot and killed by a police officer there. I, for my blog, did an interview with a St. Louis alderman on the north side of St. Louis, adjacent to Ferguson. She was talking about the challenges in her community And how uh, people were leaving her neighborhood on the north side of uh, St. Louis and moving into Ferguson. And she very pointedly said to me that the problem is no one wants to follow black people. Uh, And I was surprised when she said that because, you know, the whole notion that we have about neighborhoods is that, you know, one group settles it, another group follows, another group follows that group. And she very pointedly said, no one wants to follow black people. She was trying to stimulate development, but she's saying it's hard for me to do it because no one wants to come behind us. And I said, wow, you know, that does make sense. And then that's when this whole metaphor idea came to my mind about the Oxbow Lake or, uh, you know, backwaters that, you know, the the, the life-giving and life-sustaining uh, Flow of a river continues uh, to bring life into uh, that into that uh, particular community. I guess if you want to extend the metaphor, but if it decides to change the channel, then that one part gets separated from everything else, and it loses that life sustaining flow. Explain to me how that happens in Bronzeville. Going back to what I said a few minutes ago, that I think at about 1930 there were about 150,000 people living in a two two and a half square mile area. At the heart of Bronzeville at that time. Uh, by about 1990, when we're working on this project, there are about 20,000 people who are living in Bronzeville. Wow. So we go from, as you said, Tokyo density to what, Montana density? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. No one wants to follow black people. That's what happened. Well, I saw by 1990, 1995, much of Bronzeville had kind of been written off. In 2000, Chicago Mayor Richard Daley announced the start
2: of the Chicago Housing Authority's plan for transformation, which ultimately would lead to the demolition of thousands of public housing units, including the wall of CHA high-rises along State Street.
1: One of the things that we often heard about from residents and often heard about from some of the institutions that were involved in this, some of the foundations, was the inequity of you know what's happening on the north side versus what's happening on the south side and how different it was. I mean, everybody was very much aware of the difference between uh, Lincoln Park on the north side and Burnham Park on the south side and the connectivity to the park, the way that people use the park, the way that people interact with the park on a regular daily basis. And it just was something that was not happening on the south side. Not only was it uh, you know, Lakeshore Drive that's separating people, but it's the Metro Electric line that separates people. So the bridges had to be doubly long to be able to serve the people who want to go from the uh, neighborhood to the, to the lakefront. And also the condition of the lakefront itself, the, the jogging and biking trail was not complete there. And it was mostly just a green space that was abruptly ended by uh, a bunch of rocks piled onto the lake.
2: Now that the towers are gone, if I were just to drive in from uh, Schomburg, would I recognize as, as somebody who's never been to Bronzeville, could I come in and realize, wow, there's history on every corner of this neighborhood?
1: I think that the towers coming down did uh, make it more welcoming from that perspective. Actually, I'm going to uh, say something uh, positive about the CHA here. <laughs> uh, I think. <laughs> <Hang> <laughs> but, on. Yeah, I know, but I think they did a good job with some of the reimagined public housing uh, that was put into that area that was really built more into the fabric of the existing community and not in such stark difference to what existed previously, uh, like the earlier buildings were. The only problem was is that uh, CHA had really wanted to build more mixed income housing And what they really found is that the market just was not strong enough to make it happen uh, in the Bronzeville area as it was maybe say with Cabrini Green. A replacement housing boom began, fizzled in
2: the mid-2000s economic downturn, but then restarted, as Saunders says, in around 2010. This is at about the time that Zahidi Dowu and his wife bought their first home in Bronzeville. It is definitely more uh, inviting maybe be more curious to know what it leads to. It doesn't seem as cut off as it was before. The physical changes in Bronzeville are remarkable. Not only are there dozens of new and rehabbed homes, but on Bronzeville's east side, there are two landmark bridges over the rail lines and Lakeshore Drive. A sail-like suspension bridge was completed at 35th Street in 2016, and a bright blue corkscrewing bridge opened at 41st Street in 2018. Another bridge is slated to open at 43rd Street in 2022. And a Mariano's grocery store opened at 38th and King in 2016.
0: We've had some some success in the small business development. Now we need more uh, what I would call national brands, national chains to come in.
2: You and I have talked about this before, and it's an important point to both of us, really. This idea that we don't want to displace the people who are in Bronzeville, but we want to help them understand that bringing in these more affluent people who are buying these half-million-dollar homes is what brings in the stores. Is that a message that you've been able to convey to people, do you think?
0: I try to convey that message with reality. I think when you explain to people the landscape in the Bronzeville community, for example, having uh, a large number of senior buildings, In addition to the transformation housing that's going on at Park Boulevard or at Legend South, which is along State Street, people then begin to understand what the challenge is in Bronzeville, how to keep people who might have been in here a long time and bring in new people who might have more income.
2: More physical changes are coming, as according to Crane's Danny Ecker, plans are moving forward to reactivate the old Michael Reese Hospital site, 49 acres south of McCormick Place, that has sat unused since the hospital closed in 2009.
1: I would put as much money as I could into the restoration and preservation of some of the homes that are still there, other uh, major uh, uh, churches and institutional buildings that are located throughout that area. Um, they are absolutely monumental. Some of them are. And uh, that's something that uh, really contributes to neighborhood character. And I think it would be great to have those there and uh, keep them there. There's
2: something else, something intangible that has also changed. And it augurs well for Chicago to get redevelopment right this time.
1: The the potential that this neighborhood has, uh, I think has real impact on the rest of the South Side. You know, you look further south and you look at South Shore, Woodlawn, Inglewood, and I think that uh, a lot of their potential rests on Bronzeville's ability to be able to uh, turn that corner.
2: This is a Green Line train.
1: The future of Bronzeville, Dowell said, is... Where people's
0: contributions are acknowledged and um, respected, uplifted, and shared with others. You know, we invite all in, but we want an understanding and respect for what this community has been to so many over so many years. And my dad is from Cleveland, Mississippi, but both are towns in the Delta. So both of them did cotton and earned enough money to at least purchase a train ticket to come here. And, uh, but, you know, the story is that our families kind of overlap
2: because everyone followed the word.
0: Four Star Stories is a production of Crane's Audio Studio. Crane's publisher and executive editor is Jim Kirk. Anne Dwyer is Crane's editor. Sound design and production by Todd Manley. Download and follow us wherever you get your podcasts.